the optimal life. When kids leave clues, 26 timeless stories of inspiration and essential life lessons taught to us by our own children. That's the title of your book. That's the title that stuck out to me and really caught my eye. So thank you for being here. Um, what what uh, what was the driver behind you saying it's time for me to write a book and it's time for me to write one on this topic? Yeah, it's a good point. I think most people, when they do something a little uh, bigger in life uh, than their average everyday tasks, uh, they have a big why, right? And so our big why here, at least for me, was our special needs son. So we're raising uh, a number of kids. We got six kids. Um, our first kid was a two and a half year old when I met my wife. And then our next child that we had together was a special needs uh, son that he was first diagnosed with some delays. And finally, about 15 months, um, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Um, but that was just the beginning. Um, the, the And then so just a little bit prior to that, um, we had actually lost our first children. They were twins. They were identical twin girls. Um, and if you can imagine, you know, a crisis like that often sets people back permanently. In fact, I just heard from a gentleman yesterday where they 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 would not have another child. Um, the mom just couldn't bear the thought of losing again. So it was, we started out on a really tough note. Um, so then when this special needs son was born, um, okay, so at birth, they basically whisked him away from us suddenly. Uh, he was turning blue. It's like unexplained. You know, it's, they, they don't tell you a lot. And, and uh, finally came back and brought him back. After a little bit, they revived him. And uh, turns out he had basically a small case of apnea, they said. Um, and so for the first four months, he seemed fine developing. Uh, then after that, about half a month later, uh, suddenly he was having delays, we noticed. And again, by about 15 months after all these delays and inability to walk and not talking at all, uh, they gave us a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. Um, long story short is at about seven, he took a fall in the driveway. So after some alternative therapies around age four, he did start to walk a bit. And then he took some fall in the driveway and it developed what they call dystonia. It's a, it's a movement disorder. It's a, a muscle disease, basically. Um, and about a year and a half after that, he all of a sudden developed um, a brain disorder. They said a virus attacked his brain, and now he's got these uncontrolled movements. And so his body will just thrash about without his ability to shut them down. And of course, the only thing that shuts it down is medication, right? Um, so then eventually we went through 10 years of that movement disorder with our son. In the meantime, we're we raised four more kids behind him. Mm. Now... I would call this uh, a crisis parenting, right? This is where parents are in a major crisis and you're trying to raise kids and raising kids, as you probably can imagine, is hard enough without crises. So now we've got all this going on and trying to raise these kids. And so somewhere along the way, something had to give. Either we're going crazy, right? Or, or we have to figure out how do you raise kids in the middle of crises? And mm. so that was my big why. Um, after all this settled down in 2017, our son had gotten brain surgery. Uh, we got him off all the medications for the most part. They put uh, these electrodes in his brain. And by giving a charge of, of electricity, he could control his movements. And so that kind of took us out of that crisis for, for six good years. Um, he's in his and, 20s now, correct? Yeah, he's 24 now. Um, 
We recently have got him back in crises. Something happened with one of the leads in his brain. Um, uh, and, and the reason I bring up all this idea of crises and trying to raise kids is that, you know, how our kids turned out is a compelling tale of what parents can do under any circumstance then. So that's beautiful. So a couple things I want to go back because it struck me. You said that you, when you met your wife, one of you already had a two and a half year old. Yes. My wife had a two and a half year old and then I eventually adopted him around age eight. Okay. And then when you guys first conceived, you had been, you conceived twin girls. That was your first conception and you Correct. guys lost the twins. Yep. And that would have put most people, as you alluded to, back potentially forever. They they would never go through it again. You guys decided yeah. we're going to go through it again. And then your first child together happens to be the son that you just talked about with cerebral yeah. palsy. Yeah. So really, two very challenging circumstances in your guys' journey to become parents together. Um was the real the start of your parenting and then it's astonishing to me that you guys ended up having four more children thereafter oh yeah well, well how did how did you what, what was the 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 driving force behind that what kind of mentality what kind of mindset were you guys saying we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this thing yeah that's a great question nate in fact uh we always had wanted when we first met we wanted to have a larger family both my wife and i came from larger families she had six or five additional siblings um, I had 10 additional siblings. And so we loved the idea of kids growing up together. We saw the benefits in it. Okay. However, one, one thing that struck us loud and clear right early on is there were a couple of folks that had told us that they thought we were being unfair to our special needs son by having more children behind him. And while we could understand that to a degree, we also looked at it from the opposite perspective. Something inside us told us, no, when this special needs son becomes a teenager, he's going to say, well, why don't I have any brothers or sisters? And so how do you explain to this child that they don't have any siblings? And long story short, the reality is, is our siblings below him, behind him, have been an enormous benefit to our family, number one, but they also have been an enormous benefit to our son. Having those playmates in there, they, they challenged our son. Uh, we got video of of him playing soul just excitedly with him. And, and and like I said, him walking at age four had everything to do with the son behind him already walking, um, not to mention uh, the alternative therapy we were doing with him. So um, it, it was the right thing to do. Maybe not something you would know in advance, but intuitively my wife and I did know. Uh, we just felt it was right. It's incredible that you guys have had that many children. Uh, it's as you said, it's hard enough to raise children in a healthy state, let alone having yeah. to deal with a special needs son as the oldest, uh, well, the second oldest, and then four more children. So for parents that struggle with even two or three, what kind of advice do you have for them? Because you've done it with six. How do you manage the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week, your time, the the relationships still that you and your wife need to foster. You can't lose that love. And I'm sure it wasn't always romantic uh, through raising six children. So kind of just, it's kind of a loaded question, but how do you yeah. manage all that? 
Yeah. So a couple things. One is um, what you do with your kids is a big deal. How how we give an example. So kids kids look at us more by our example than they do by our words. Okay. So uh, for example, a couple a couple techniques or a strategy that we are that we very much uh, uh, want to coach on is uh, number one is self care. Okay, parents have got to get over this thing where they can sacrifice in totality for their kids. Now, we also understand babies require us totally for staying alive. So so we get that part of it. But on the same note, we have got to be able to take breaks. Um, you know, and, and we started to recognize that early on. I think men are generally better than women at that. Women, women believe in martyrdom to a degree. And and I see more and more even uh parent female parenting coaches trying to get moms to say, okay, you have got to have breaks. You've got to find some help in here. If you're a single mom, I I would not argue one bit that it's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Okay. We can appreciate what they're doing because chances are they're also working outside the home. Um, And, and all the managing of the home front and their children's babysitting, et cetera, is, is a great challenge, but they need to know that there are ways. Uh, one thing I term uh, third-party parenting is what uh, developing nations or indigenous populations have done for centuries, and that is they elicit help from neighbors, um, you know, even even public officials like teachers and coaches um, to programs, uh, also extended family. Um, there's there's just different ways of reaching out to these folks, uh, and these folks will help, but you have. They, you have to be able to ask them. Don't feel bad about asking for that help. So self-care is a big thing. Um, I guess another one that I would point to is um, connection. Uh, largely, kids need us to connect with them. To the degree we connect emotionally very strong with them uh, is the degree that we'll continue having influence over them over time. Think about it this way. If we continue to criticize and shame and otherwise disrespect our kids, okay, they're going to look somewhere else for that because they need that type of emotional connection. So that's why you have so many problems with kids uh, following what their peers do and so on. But I've heard way too many stories. We've seen it in our own family where when the kids, when you have a strong influence with your kids from the way you act and behave with them, uh, these kids will almost always divert to you for that influence. Okay, they'll make those better choices along the way. Um, and, and again, um, you know, we could go we could go on and on about the different kinds of, you know, the different kinds of things kids kids need. Uh, things like uh, three things come to mind: nature, volunteerism, um, and social uh, social uh, uh, practice per se. So we put our kids into things like 4H. Um, we had a volunteer a program at a nature center. Um, all these kinds of things teach kids that there's a bigger world outside of them. That's where you build those character traits. Um, and, and plus they get to practice socializing, respecting nature, um, and so on. And, and like we homeschooled our kids. Okay. I, I realize everybody can homeschool. First of all, if you can homeschool, I highly encourage it. Parents benefit and kids benefit for a, a variety of reasons. And I think most of us understand what, what some of those are. Uh, families become a little more tight knit. You can control the kinds of things your kids are learning and so on. And, and when you say homeschool, this isn't like the old fashioned style homeschool where the kids have no 
socialization outside of their them and their teacher. You're talking about homeschooling, but they do this more in, in group settings these days, correct? Absolutely. We had a homeschool group at the library get together um, and we went and did different things, you know, from community service to playing at the playgrounds, the parks. Um, yeah. And all kinds of activities. There's reading sessions. Um, it, That's it got to really be a is. nice feeling, Jerry, knowing that that the education system cannot indoctrinate your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think and I think that's largely where the disgruntled parent comes from is that they feel like they're losing control of their kid. And I'm here to tell you, there are plenty of ways to take back control back. And, um, you know, if, if folks want to figure out, learn uh, at the end here, we can talk a little bit about how they can follow me. I'm going to point some of that stuff out make it look easy. You know, you can buy homeschooling programs that make it easy to homeschool. Uh, you can even just wing it. I am convinced without a doubt that if parents would basically yank out 90% of academic training and put in more life skills training, uh, kids would be farther off, better off. The world will be much better off. Um, 110%. I, yeah. I could not agree with you more. Yeah, it's, it's a shame that they do not teach kids emotional intelligence, how to handle themselves in social settings, how to prepare for an interview, how to eat at a dinner table. These are the things that really matter as you get older. And they don't teach you that. They, they teach you, they want you to memorize a book or a story about a fairy yeah. tale. Every one of my kids is like, I don't get why I have to memorize all this for tests. And I agree, it, it's pointless. They forget it uh, to a month later anyways, when you can look stuff up that that's just knowledge and information. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... Spot on. So, okay. So the homeschooling thing, but back to the, so the, take time for, you're saying to take time to make sure that you're communicating with the kids, keeping the kids busy in activities. That's clearly important because uh, a, a non-busy kid is a kid that is more likely to get into some kind of trouble. A lazy exactly. kid, not busy. These are the ones that end up hanging out with friends, loitering, which could lead to drugs, drinking, smoking, uh, mischief, all those kind of things. So keep kids engaged in, in healthy activities. Uh, but back yeah. to then you and your wife, yeah. I'm really interested to, to know this because it's not easy keeping a romance going in a relationship, even with one child, let alone six, one who is disabled, which takes up a lot of your emotional capacity. How did you yeah. two get through it? I think largely it was a commitment just to do it. Um, we both come from strong families where where authoritarian parents didn't necessarily, they did a lot of things right, but they did a lot of things wrong. And so we both decided to discard the bad and keep the good. And, and uh, some of the good was you can just commit to a greater cause. Now, my wife and I will, you know, we'll joke about how we literally have been divorced multiple times. Okay. And and just because of the stress, the enormity of our situation, uh, we didn't exactly get along and play fair all the time, uh, you know, but you had to make sure that you apologize when you made some grievous error uh, to each other. Try not to do it in front of the kids often. Explain to the kids that, you know, humans are humans, right? We can all make mistakes. We just need to make up for them. Um, so, so yeah, so we, we didn't always get along, but we did take breaks and we also realized that, you know, this was for the kids we're building, we're building kids here a lot like bridges, right? Your bridge is only going to perform, you know, to the degree the engineer does his creative work and the construction workers 
put it all together. And so that's what we did. We had this creative idea of family. Uh, and, and in that, we cemented all these kinds of construction activities that was going to help us survive. And and even though it didn't always feel right, right? It didn't always feel, I shouldn't say it didn't feel right. It didn't always feel good. Mm-hmm. Yet we understood that you still have to persist. And, uh, uh, you know, again, my book is a great example. It's it, it's meant largely to inspire parents on a number of levels. And in there is uh, is a couple chapters on the idea of of hanging in there and pers- being persistent and and the value and the benefit that families and ultimately kids and the greater world get um, when Absolutely. you persist. Absolutely, that's so. got to be extremely challenging because you guys are yeah. are defying the odds. You're going against gravity to some extent. It, yeah, you're going against. You got yeah. little babies crying. You, your kids are fairly close in age as they were coming up. You yeah. got babies crying. You've got a, a son who's a, probably a teenager at cerebral palsy. You've got other kids yeah. in between. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in that house every single day is work. Yeah, and I think the idea of thriving or surviving is. I think so many parents do that. Too. That is like the the normal in families, and and somehow. You know, this whole idea that, for example, where they say, where they ask where, where women feel like they got to be outside the home is really insane. Uh, you, because the, I, I think the idea that they want to do that has more to do with their, 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 their ego and their own so- desire to have something beyond themselves. And the reality is there's no greater feat than bearing a child. There's no greater feat than building a child. And and if you think about it this way, if we don't like how our world is turning out, how do you change that? You don't change it as adults out in the world trying to, you know, improve the environment, improve the political scene. You change it by building better kids. Mm. And that's how that's from the ground up. That's that's the preventative measure rather than always trying to fix stuff. That's perfectly said. So you talk about 26 timeless stories. You, you kind of organize the book with a protagonist or some kind of challenge at the beginning, and yeah. then you equate it and analogize it to a story, a real life situation, and then you provide actionable tips and insight into how to manage those situations. Um, of all the stories that you talk about in the book and maybe others that you haven't, what's the greatest lesson that your children have taught you? Boy, uh, I would say... Number one is the self-care. I can't, I put that chapter number one for a very good reason. If we aren't there, if we aren't available for our kids, we've lost the connection. We aren't enjoying our own life. Uh, Our kids see that example. They become uh, disabled, quote unquote, in life. Kind of, you know, kids turn out like their parents are, right? So we have got to take care of that one first. When you say self-care, you're talking about me. You got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself. A parent has to take care of themselves. And I'm talking on every level. I'm talking, you know, you get energy by exerting energy. So physical activity is a big deal. I'm highly energized. So for me, it's not hard. So I get that it's going to be a bigger challenge for some people. But many people have been 450 pounds and they lost 300 pounds or uh, they've had a disease or an illness and they've, they've cured it naturally kind of thing. So there are multiple stories out there. Uh, where you can correct those kinds of things. And and once you're stronger, more fitter, healthier in the mind, you know, I, as a young adult, I had to undo a lot of things from my growing up, right? My dad was authoritarian. 
Okay, so there was a lot of criticism, um, a lot of me hating myself over time. Uh, as a young adult, that reflected in my behaviors, you know, everything from drinking too much to other kinds of behaviors that were self-destructive, right? And I think many of us have been in that boat, but I've had to fix some things. And so it's really important that, um, and, and I so I spent years doing self-development, reading tons of books uh, on how to become a better person, uh, to behave better, to succeed easier. Um, and so I listened to programs on CDs, on videos. And, and so there are multiple things out there. And even in these chapters, uh, each, each chapter, I end it with some act direct or some specific action steps that people can do things I've done, things other people have done. And there's even more out there, but these are just ways to get started. Mm. That's, uh, that's incredible. Let me ask you, you mentioned you did a lot of reading, you did a lot of listening to audio to, to better yourself. And you were going through that for years. Listening is just one piece of the puzzle. That's great when you yes. hear it and you listen and you absorb it, but then putting it into action is a whole different skill set. So what were some of the things that you were doing to kind of overcome those prior bad habits? I think for me, a lot of it was, okay, I heard it explained one time a while back where uh, when you're being taught the negative, it's kind of like they're building this record, this LP. Remember the big discs that we used to have, and and right. so and what happens is is you've got this record now, and it's but it's not a record you like or enjoy anymore. Okay, so at some point you've got to scratch that record, and the only way you can do that to start over is to constantly put it into your mind, repetition after repetition. Tony Robbins had always said uh, the repetition is the mother of all skills, and he is. He is spot on, obviously. So I listen to this stuff. And I'm not talking for a month or a 12 months. I'm talking for years on end in my car stereo player, uh, at home, uh, in my free time. So I had to purposely set aside some of my activities and make sure that I'm developing myself. Um, so a lot of things, um, let's see, uh, specifically um, uh, audio. I like to listen to a lot of audio because it's easiest to consume. Um you know, I would go to seminars. I went to a, quite a few live physical seminars. The nice thing about seminars is you realize you're not alone. There are hundreds, uh, sometimes thousands of other people there who are also trying to fix themselves, right? Or or certainly to support themselves and, and ensure that they're heading in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. That is a big, big piece of advice right there. Yeah. Realizing that you are not the only one. Because that trickles into your life when you feel like this is all me, I'm the only one going through this. That has a really devastating impact. On the reverse, when you realize this is normal, there's so yeah. many people going through. And these are only the ones that are willing to raise their hands and say, I'm going oh, through right. this. Think about all the others right. that aren't even raising their hands. You see that and you're going, oh, this is, oh, you can go home and you really have a shift in mentality, correct? Oh, absolutely. I, th I think a lot of people just, you know, that's the reason they get stuck. They feel alone. And so the more they feel alone, the more they hide out. You know, they they hide in their basement or their home. And, and uh, you know, it's not easy. I'll say it again. I, you know, my wife needed a little more encouraging to get out. Uh, she's such a great woman. She's just, you know, she 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 just doesn't know how valuable she is, how, how incredible she is, what her, what her, the, 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 the enormity of her role in our kids' lives, especially our special needs sons' lives. And I think women in general, that's what, the, that's, that's the way they are built to some degree. They take these things uh, personally, like somehow she, they cause this grief, this problem for these children, where that's not the case. You know, a lot of times humans 
are just presented with these kinds of problems in life just so that we can evolve and become better people. Is your love different for any of your children, Jerry, or is it all the same across the board? It's different. As far as great, how how much greater it is, I think you can't help but feel a greater love when you have a special needs child just because they seem to need it. You know, there's this huge amount of emotional energy you spend on them. And I think that correlates to the amount of feeling you have for them. But, you know, that's, and, and, and my kids even, the other kids even get it. I mean, they they realize that, you know, as much stress and challenges that they've had growing up with, with, our, with our other son, they, or their sibling, they also realize that they've, be, they've benefited from other kids you know, they've benefited more from having him as a brother than than other kids have. And so it, it's a it's 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 a horse apiece, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. There's several highlights I want to talk about in your book. If you can shed a little light into them and let's go through a, a couple, a few of them real quick. Sure. Um, you say that there's one thing that you say to your kids that destroys your credibility. What is that? That is a constant criticism, um, you know. I, I grew up with criticism and I can tell you it eats at your soul. It, it, uh, it, it destroys the human spirit. Um, and we've got to understand to not really take it personal when kids have kinds of what we would say uh, is defiant behavior. Cause think about a young child uh, telling, you no, right. A two-year-old. Well, they don't really mean no, as in, you know, I hate you or I'm not going to do what you want because I'm just trying to defy you. All they all they're saying to you really is my brain isn't strong enough to handle these big emotions I have about my experience right now. And I need help with that. So we have to understand we've got to connect with our kids. And so when you criticize, you really you lose that connection. Interesting. And I think that that also could lead to other emotional problems as your child grows up and develops into their adulthood. It could lead to even the development of personality disorders. Because a child that grows up always being yeah. criticized, always feeling that they're not enough, it's the missing tile. They do everything yeah. right. They do every single thing right. And they come home and a parent is still belittling, pointing out the one thing that they did wrong. You just start living in that in that uncertain that that certainty that I'm I'm wrong. I'm a failure, no matter how good I, I'm doing. So I think that's extremely powerful. Yeah. Um you say that there's something that your kids need from you more than anything else. What is that? They certainly need your attention. And again, I it kind of has to do with the same thing. It's just by having, okay, if they don't get your attention again, they look for it somewhere else. And the big fear in today's world is that we are losing control of our kids. There's They're being distracted for a, from a multitude of, of, of areas that are literally stealing them from us. And I think that's, that's our greatest fear. And of course, uh, all the talk now, you know, about, about gender identity and sex identity and, and all this kind of thing is really frustrating parents. And, and again, so our job is to, is to maintain as much control as we can. So we, we need, they need to have our attention. So, so in one of the chapters, I talk about time. Okay. This big illusion about how we can just have quality of time and i'm suggesting that it's not that simple okay we need to ha we need to spend quantity of time with kids too because again if somebody else is spending a lot more time with your kid than you are uh there's great risk there in losing them to that uh, ideology to that experience and so on 
kind of back to the indoctrination stuff we talked about before. Yes, absolutely. It's nice to be able to homeschool and, and kind of make sure that you are controlling the narrative or at least staying on top of it as, as much as you can. Absolutely. Uh, or, or, or at least uh, understanding where your kids are at. I mean, what are they finding online, for example? So by, by spending time with them, that's how we learn what's in their life. So. I find that interesting because usually everyone, everyone says it's quality over quantity. You hear that all the time. And that usually is true. But what you're saying here is it's not only quality, it is quantity too, because they're kind of feeding off of each other. The more time I, Jerry, get with my kids, the more I am certain they are going to be on the right track. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, so so really then what, what you're saying is that it has to be a balance of you know, spending a certain quantity of time that is of high quality. And and that chapter goes into it really good on the science behind it and, and the real life uh, risks and benefits of not spending enough time with kids. Mm. So what's the one key ingredient for connecting more strongly with your children? Uh, I would say doing stuff with them. Uh, and it can't be all work. For example, uh, if, if you're doing stuff with your kids in an environment of stress, okay, what happens with stress? We f- we flee from stress, right? Flight or fright. We flee from it. And so we can't be in stressful situations. We have to be in a, a playful mood. And so one thing I learned early on, and it came natural to me, I spent a, an enormous amount of time uh, with kids, n- nieces and nephews, um, godchildren, um, a little brother and a big brother's big sister's program, uh, volunteering at a daycare. And the one thing I learned beyond any doubt is kids want us to interact physically, even to the degree of where you're roughhousing with them. And I look at roughhousing with kids as uh, the antidote to negative touch. Okay. So if kids are getting negative touch at home, you know, that, that's, that again, can kind of destroy the soul. Like if, like if kids are abused or beaten by, by mom or dad, that destroys the soul. But the roughhousing part, which is a playful physical experience that energizes children. They realize that Physical touch is meant to inspire and to feel good rather than feel bad. Mm, beautiful. What do t- today's most successful parents know that most parents don't? I assume we've talked about it quite a bit, but how do you summarize that? Yeah, I think the one thing that I had have learned with most successful parents make sure their kids are doing stuff, okay? It is in the doing of things, of having experiences that kids build what, uh, social competency, they build uh, risk-taking, they build competency and skill-building. Uh, you know, To the degree kids do enough stuff uh, is the degree that they're going to be successful and happy. And Because what happens with uh, when you do things, right? What, what are kids learning? They're learning to be creative. Uh, what most kids do at home, though, parents say, you're not doing that right, or stop doing that, or no. And so you're shutting down creativity. But we mm-hmm. need to do the opposite. We need to let kids do things, and we need to let them make mistakes and then not jump in and fix them for them. We need to let them fix it. And in, in doing that, we send the message that they're capable, uh, they're independent. And frankly, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I put it in the book is, you know, our only job as a parent is to, um, I'm sorry, let me, refresh my memory. Our only job as a parent is to put ourselves out of a job. And and to the degree we learn how to do all those things and let kids learn and and do things and and make mistakes and fix their mistakes, 
uh, is the, to the degree that they turn out to be, you know, great contributors in our society. You and I, Jerry, come from the same school of thought. So it's refreshing and beautiful to hear it uh, being so well articulated. My last question about the book is uh, you say that there is an easy way to know if your child will, will persevere or will quit. How do you know? I think the largest indicator for me is their like their whether they withdraw or whether they're assertive. Okay. So when kids withdraw, there's something going on in their life that isn't isn't right. Okay. And it, it doesn't feel right. Okay. So we're either not emotion coaching well enough or we're not we're not showing up in their lives enough. We're not supporting them enough. And so they withdraw. And we don't find out what they're doing. And what what happens is these kids are always influenced by their own thoughts, right? So they keep telling themselves, I'm no good, right? Or I, I have to quit, or I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, don't, I, I'm not worthy, or I'm not meant to be here for any reason, or why am I here? All those negative self-talk. That negative self-talk is probably, again, one of the greatest destroyers of human potential. And so I think... You know, largely we just need to we need to show up in these kids' lives and make sure that we're knowing where they are and and helping them come out of the closet as far as withdrawing from from social contact and uh, and just once they're assertive, say get them into sports or get them out into nature. Nature is another huge huge thing that uh, the field of psychology is writing about today. Um, there's just so many benefits. Just maybe even spiritually, you could make the point. But largely just, if you think about it, my uh, here's a good example. My oldest brother used to be a, a school psychologist, okay? And it wore out him. It wore him out for years of doing that. He worked in some of the toughest school environments, okay? Eventually, he quits that because he can't take it anymore. And he goes home to the family farm and takes over the farm. And he says, I'm a lot happier now working with animals. And, and it doesn't mean to, you know, we can't just let humans uh, decay, right? We have to have people working with humans and helping build them back up. But it made a great point that, you know, when we get out in nature, when we work with fa like families having pets or getting out to zoos and farms and in nature, it's just got this curative, this kind of healing type property. And, and we've got to get kids in those environments uh, so much, so much more. And granted, our kids grew up on a hobby farm. Um, and, and so they had that natural ability, but we still went to nature, uh, to nature preserves. We still went to the zoo right a couple times a year. Um, we went to our brother's farm several times. Um, every time you get out in nature is a, uh, you're making uh, positive emotional deposits into these kids' uh, bank accounts per se. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that if I could offer one, one huge, huge, um, uh, strategy that is definitely think about getting your kids outdoors, uh, specifically playing, but even working or volunteering in some capacity works great, great too. Yeah. It's amazing how therapeutic being outdoors can be. It doesn't, it, it's not rocket science. We're not meant to be bottled up inside our entire lives. It's just not the way we're supposed to be. Yeah. I think people just forget that, uh, you know, I think a largely, and that's a reason, another reason why kids, kids give us so many clues when they're young about all these things that we come to the table naturally with as a young child. And then somehow other adults who've had a lot of uh, experiences before us, they teach it out of us. Instead mm -hmm. of teaching us this stuff, they teach it out of us. So adults have to literally relearn this stuff from their kids. 
as long as we pay attention, we've got a great teacher right in our home. Yep. And that's exactly what the book's about. The life lessons taught to us by our own children. The book, When Kids Leave Clues, we have linked it here in the show notes. Anyone that's interested can go click on the link and learn more and and potentially purchase the book. Uh, Fascinating conversation. I, I really don't know you and your wife clearly very well, but I will say that based upon this short time together, uh, you two are clearly unselfish people because most people, there's a lot of people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people go through life, me, 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 I, 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 and uh, you guys did the exact opposite. You guys were creating additional human beings and trying your best to raise them to become the next generation, to make the change, the planetary changes that you mentioned. So I give you a ton of credit and uh, wishing you all the best, Jerry. Thank you, Nick.